Welcome to the 179th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with John Dixon, author of the novel Phoenix Island, which inspired the CBS TV series Intelligence. And I just wanted to point out, as you hear the interview, uh, you will hear us uh, refer to Intelligence as an upcoming TV series. Um, That's because I oftentimes record these interviews months in advance, uh, and sadly, Intelligence has been canceled. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to point that out, and stay tuned for my interview with John Dixon, author of Phoenix Island. And just a quick message before we start the show, Jim Kukral from the Author Marketing Institute contacted me and asked if I could tell you about a virtual event they're doing for authors starting on January 26th. And the reason I'm mentioning mentioning this is because I know that a lot of my listeners are uh, writers and authors or aspiring writers. Um, this event is called the Author Marketing Live, and it's an online event for authors. That means you don't have to travel to attend the event. You just log in and you can watch over 15 presentations from some best-selling authors and authorpreneurs. Some of the presenters will include Steve Scott, an author who earns over $60,000 a month with Kindle books, as well as fiction and nonfiction experts like Joel Kamm, Lewis Howes, and Peter Shankman. Also, Mark Coker, the CEO of Smashwords, is presenting as well. So you can check out the agenda and you can get your seat for only $99 to attend the uh, virtual event online. Again, you don't have to travel. This is an online event. Um, and I'm letting you know about this, as I said, because I know that a lot of the listeners are authors. So all you have to do is use the coupon code Jeff during checkout and you can visit authormarketinglive.com. Again, again that's authormarketinglive.com and the coupon code is Jeff. And stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is John Dixon, author of the new novel, Phoenix Island. The new CBS television drama, Intelligence, is based on Dixon's new novel, Phoenix Island. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Sure. Well, can I have you read the first couple of pages from your new novel, Phoenix Island? Yeah, thanks. Well, I'd be happy to. All right, this is how it starts off. Wearing a stiff blue jumpsuit and handcuffs, Carl sat with no expression on his face and waited to see what they were going to do to him this time. They were going to come down hard on him. The judge might even dismiss the case straight to adult court, and then Carl would be looking at jail time, as in real jail. No more juvie, no more boys. Men, thieves and rapists and murderers, shanks and gangs, everything. He'd be lucky to survive a month. The Dale County Juvenile Court didn't look like a courtroom. It was just a narrow room with two folding tables set end to end. No judge's dais, no jury box, no spectator's gallery. Just the tables and a dozen or so uncomfortable metal chairs flanking them. Carl smelled new carpet and coffee. Fluorescent lights buzzed in the drop ceiling overhead. A furled American flag leaned in one corner, pinned to the wall by a podium pushed up against it to make room. He avoided eye contact with his foster parents. 
who sat at the other end of the table next to Ms. Snyder, the probation officer, and stared instead at his bruised and swollen hands, the scars on his knuckles, reading like a twisted roadmap of the great lengths he had traveled to arrive here. Out in the hall, somebody laughed in passing. Carl heard keys jingle. A cop, probably. The cop in this room looked bored. His leather gun belt creaked as he shifted his weight, watching the judge shuffle through a tall stack of papers. Carl's mouth was dry and sour with the waiting. Directly across the table, the judge picked up a white styrofoam cup. Then he put it down and set some papers to one side of the others. Then he looked up. He had watery eyes and deep lines in his face. His hair was a gray mess, and he needed a shave. Despite his robe, he looked more like a burned-out math teacher than a judge. Looking again at the white cup, he finally spoke. Could somebody please get me another cup of coffee? Velma, would you mind? The tall woman said okay and stood up and left the room. You are an orphan, the judge said, turning his attention to Carl. Yes, sir. It says here your father was a police officer. Yes, sir. And what does that make you, sir? The sheriff? Chief Watkins snorted. I'm the damn sheriff. Language, Chief. I'd hate to have to find you in contempt of court. Carl read the men's voices. Just a <clears throat> Carl read the men's voices. Just a pair of good old boys having a little fun while they sat one more case together. Chief Watkins nodded. Sorry, Your Honor. That's all right. Then, looking up at Carl, he said, "You're kind of a hard ass, aren't you, son?" Chief Watkins cleared his throat. It's all right, Chief. It's my court. I'll be in contempt if I see fit. Answer the question, son. You fashion yourself a hard ass? Carl shrugged. I don't mean to be. You don't mean to be. No, sir. And you know what that sounds like to me? No, sir. That sounds like every kid who comes in here. He looked at the paper. It says here you're a boxer. Carl nodded. I was. Chief Watkins. <clears throat> Chief Watkins used to box a little, didn't you, Chief? Few smokers back in the Navy, nothing official. The judge said, Our friend here had more than a few fights. How many was it altogether, son? 87, Carl said. And out of those 87 matches, how many did you win? 85. And that's the first couple pages. Great, great. Well, if someone Thanks. if someone listening hasn't heard about Phoenix Island yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, I, <clears throat> thanks. It's a it's a thriller, um, and it tells the story of this kid Carl, who's a you know a, a boxing champ who's just been in a lot of trouble for beating up bullies. Uh, and so it starts off in the first chapter, and he's he's sentenced to an isolated boot camp for teens called Phoenix Island, and then when he gets there. He realizes it's, you know, in chapter two, he gets there and, and he quickly realizes it's not uh, actually a teen boot camp. Every kid there is an orphan like himself. And uh, what what's really going on is something much darker. So when he, when he figures out that it's really a mercenary training facility, turning kids into 
uh, transhuman super soldiers, he decides he's got to escape. And then eventually figures out that he really needs to do more than that. He wants to try to take them down. And and do you remember how you how you got the idea or what the original impetus was for for writing Phoenix Island? Yeah, um, it's funny. I started it without even realizing I was starting it. I sat down to write one day, and I was busy with other stuff. But this character came into my head, this character of Carl. And uh, there are actually big chunks of that day's writing that are now in the novel. They're spread out in a couple blocks of backstory. But it was his story, and it just piled out. And his story is really his father's story and his mother's story. And it, it and I, instantly I loved the character, but I didn't have a story for him. Like I said, I was already working on other stuff, so I just threw it in the drawer. And then maybe a year or two after that, um, I heard about the Kids for Cash case in PA. And that's where a couple of judges were getting these really hefty kickbacks, like the tune of millions of dollars for taking kids and sentencing them to privately owned detention centers. These were kids and no advocates, you know? And, um, so yeah, I was outraged by that. And I started looking into the whole thing. I had worked as a caseworker and it just kind of blew me away that this sort of thing could happen, you know, an actual judge doing that. Um, so then I looked into it a little more and I started reading about teen boot camps and what really scared me was I heard that um, there are boot camps outside of the U.S. where people can send kids that are outside of the laws of the United States. And I guess that's the moment where the, the light bulb came on. I thought, you know, what a scary setting. And then, boom, that kid that I tucked into the drawer a year or two earlier sort of popped up and thought, well, if there's one guy who could, could handle that, it would be Carl. So that's how it all started. It was really, you know, like setting and character and story all came together. Gotcha. Well, well, not many debut novels end up being the basis for a number one television show. How did the TV series Intelligence come about? Can you can you tell us that story? <clears throat> yeah, I mean it was amazing. Um, I had um, pitched this at a at a convention called Thriller Fest. I didn't have an agent. I was hoping to get an agent. Got a great agent. It's Christina Hogarty. She's a Jane Rotrosen. But um, Jane Rotrosen doesn't handle film. So they called uh, Joe Veltrian from Gersh and handed him the book. And he read it literally overnight. And so we really hit it off. And then um, months later, I get a call from Joe. I'd never talked to him personally. And he just said that this uh, executive producer, Trip Vinson, who was known for feature films, had read the book, loved it, and was interested in talking. So I thought he meant a few days later. Meanwhile, I was on my way to a hot dog shop. It's a place, Jimmy John's Hot Dogs, near my house. And uh, I get in the place, and it's loud, and there's kids running around blowing the whistles and stuff. And um, sitting there eating my hot dog, and the phone rings. And it's not Trip, but it's his assistant. She's like, I have Trip Vincent on the phone for you. And um, it was just such a surreal moment. Uh, so I, I went out to my truck and sat alongside this highway and, and we had a talk. And then he flew in from uh, LA to New York. I hopped on the train, I'm outside of Philly. And we talked about it. And uh, he told me then, he said, uh, you know, don't pin your hopes on this actually happening because it's such a long shot. Not just because it's a debut novel. I mean, just it's just such a long shot to make anything happen in TV. But um, he, he said, I'm gonna celebrate every hurdle. And that's what I did. 
So every time something new would happen, when um, when he got uh, a great writer named Michael Seitzman to come on board, celebrated that. When they got it optioned by ABC Studios, celebrated. When CBS originally picked it up with you know like a hundred other dramas, celebrated. And then finally, it um, it got greenlighted, and there were, there were great stars attached. And I still didn't think it was really going to happen. Um, we were there were eleven dramas greenlighted, and uh, most P, most sort of TV pundits online were putting us around fifth most likely to get picked up. And CBS was the top network at the time, and they had re-upped almost their entire schedule, so the people were guessing would be on two slots left. So we. I really didn't think it was going to happen, but I just kept celebrating every hurdle we crossed. My wife and I hopped out of the plane, went to Vancouver, and visited the set. That was really cool. Everybody treated us like gold. And then um, finally May rolled around, and um, we were supposed to hear on May 15th at the CBS Upfront. So on um, May 10th, uh, five days earlier, I get an email from a friend who works out in, in uh, LA and it said, you know, in case you hadn't heard and I opened it up, there's a link and the link shoots out and it says that CBS had picked up intelligence and I literally didn't believe it. I mean, <laughs> I just, I mean, I, when I say I literally didn't mean it, it wasn't like, wow, it's so great. I can't believe it. I mean, I literally didn't believe it. I thought it was a hoax. And, um, I popped out of there. I went back to the email box and there's a, an email from Joe Veltry, my film agent, and I was just so happy for you, John. And it's a link to a different um, article. So I was like, no way, you know. And Trip called me up uh, that that evening. Trip, the executive producer, and, and I'll, I'll never forget pacing around on my on the deck. It was like a beautiful day, May tenth. I was pacing on the deck, just grinning until my head was going to split in half, and he's like, hey. No, we talked. I talked about those hurdles. We got over the last one. It was like awesome, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it. It one thing I should qualify, um, because I'm sure a lot of a lot of listeners aren't aren't familiar with the book. The book is very different from the show. Um, it started off as going to be very one to one, but over time it's changed. And as the writers came on, I mean, it didn't. On the TV credits, it says based on the book, but I always say inspired because even though I triggered it and even though it's fun to see like similarities in, in characters and even like scenes out of context and stuff, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to fool anybody into thinking that if they're a fan of intelligence, they're going to see the exact same show because it's different. It's the source material, but it's different. And I think that it's just really cool to have both versions out there in the world. Gotcha. So are you planning on writing about this character again, or have you um, started working on a, a, another novel? I I am actually. Yeah. My deadline, unfortunately is March 1st. So I was, <laughs> I was writing this morning and once, um, once we're finished here, I'll be jumping right back in. So yeah, I'm, I'm working on the sequel now and um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And, and in terms of that sequel, will that also be the source material for future episodes or, or has that been discussed? No, we, we have, um, diverged. I mean, it's that, you know, and luckily Simon and Schuster are so awesome about this. They were really supportive of the book as a book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a big question in my mind was, oh, do I have to now change my book? 
and make it more like uh, the show because this, both the show and, and the book debuted on the same day, January 7th. So um, they were awesome. They said, no, you can keep it the way it is. We like the book as a book. You know, we don't want it. They, they thought that would weaken it, and I agreed. So the series is continuing along the lines I had originally intended. So it'll, it will become, in most ways, even more different from the show. Um, the only similarity being the, the things that um, help them to to create the world of of, uh, of intelligence. I mean, that being in the in the book, the kids in a in an almost a prison situation. But my intention all along was for him to get involved with an agency, and you're going to see the first pieces of that in the sequel. And that'll get going later in the series. Gotcha. So, so Phoenix Island is your is your debut novel. What what was your writing path before you wrote Phoenix Island? Did you write short stories, or were there other novels that you that you wrote that that maybe ended up not published? Well, yeah, I mean, it it's the it's my debut novel in that it's you know my first big book, first book under my under my name and everything. Um, but I I've written a ton, and I had written a couple of books before. And I, I had published a bunch of short stories. So I, I wrote mostly horror and science fiction. And I guess you would call it fantasy, though not um, high fantasy, more like glitch and reality fantasy. Right. Uh, a guy comes home from a long day teaching school, walks downstairs and finds an enormous jellyfish in his, you know, like, uh, in his laundry sink. So, um, yeah, that type of fantasy. But um, gotcha. yeah, I've been how, did, how did you time. how did you originally get interested in writing fiction? Was it something you were always interested in? Yeah, you know, I never really thought much about being a writer or anything like that. In fact, I I never was comfortable using that term until just very recently. Since you know, it's what I'm doing all the time now. But um, I always wrote and. Mainly, I know my third grade teacher started me, and, and she really made a big difference. Um, she typed up one of my stories. She sent a letter to my parents saying that I was going to be a writer someday. Um, and I just talked to her about two weeks ago for the first time in a million years and thanked her. It was just great. But um, I always wrote stories all, you know, all through high school and didn't really show anybody. Um, and I didn't get serious about it until my 20s. And what did you do when you got serious about it? I just started writing every day. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I've always been a big reader, <clears throat> but um, I started reading even more. And at the time I was, again, writing a lot of short stories. So I was reading a lot of the, a lot of the um, short story magazines. I was, I was reading uh, Cemetery Dance and Asimov's and Fantasy and Sci-Fi and, um, yeah, I was just reading a lot of, a lot of magazines and journals and anthologies and collections, and then a lot of novels. I, I prefer novels above, above all else. So, um, I just would get up every day and write. And when I first started, I, I was doing it longhand, and I would make sure that I got at least two pages longhand every day, no matter what. And then after a year or two of that, I started doing word counts, and um, I would, you know, almost always get at least a thousand words a day and then just kept getting easier and easier to put words on the page. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's how things changed when I got serious. Um, 
And then, you know, I just started that same thing that every writer, well, most writers, except for the really great ones, you know, and that's, you know, you just send stories out, send stories out, and they just keep getting rejected. I have a box of over 500 rejection letters. And, you know, you just get that magical moment where they start rejecting you with feedback and learn from some of those and you adjust things and um, things get better. Gotcha. I still know that the two best pieces of feedback I ever got from editors. One was George Sithers, who was doing um, Weird Tales at the time. And, you know, he, he had won a few Hugos for Asimov's and stuff. And he told me that my story was good, but it used too many words to tell tell the tale. And that's when I started chopping things way down and collapsing the stories and started selling a lot more. And the second one was from this guy, David Feltz. I think it was David Feltz. I really have to look it up. But he told me, always keep your drive or your always keep your main character in the driver's seat. Make sure that his actions are making the story happen. Not that he's just reacting to things that happen in the story. And those were two just really sort of epiphany moments for me. Gotcha. So um what is your writing process like? Do you do you plot extensively or are you more of an organic writer? You know, <clears throat> that is uh that's an evolving, my answer to that is evolving right now. I mean, I started off by being an organic writer. That's what's natural to me. And, but I found that I sort of went all over the place. And with Phoenix Island, I, I used a bit of an outline and it, um, it helped a lot structurally. And I wrote the book much more quickly than I had the books in the past. And now with a sequel, I think that in the beginning, I overplotted it. And it kind of killed a bit of the fun. So I pulled back from that. And um, and now I'm, I'm thinking <coughs> I have to find that right balance. I think I'm best with knowing the basics and some of the big turning points and definitely the ending. And then the rest of it just kind of just having faith that it's going to come together. Gotcha. So what books or writers have you read in the last year or so that, that you would recommend that, that really impressed you or made an impact? Well, first of all, I do a ton of rereading. I'm rereading Silence of the Lamb now for who knows how many times. Um, I just think that's a perfect book, an absolutely perfect book. And I, and I mostly read Stephen King and Elmer Leonard I just again and again. And also Cormac McCarthy again and again. I've read No Country for Old Men at least 15 times. But um, in the last two years, the two books that stood out the most to me were Gone Girl by Jillian Flynn, which is just such an intricately plotted masterpiece that that book's amazing um and then a book from a smaller press called cheesy press by real yours and it's called westlake souls and that book blew me away um what's the title again westlake w-e-s-t-l-a-t-k-e soul as in you know your soul Mm -hmm. and it's just an amazing book um, and I've recommended that book to so many people and literally every person I've recommended to it has thanked me for it. It's, it's that good. Um, it's been an option now for, for film and the guy who did the grudge, I think his name is Steven Susco got his hands on loves the book and, and he's writing the script and everything. So hopefully it's going to get into, you know, reach a much larger audience. That book's incredible. Interesting. 
So what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening? Well, it's it's the same old tired advice that that everybody gives you, but it's the best advice. I'd say it's read a lot, write a lot, and just stick to your guns. I mean, like I said, I have over 500 rejections. And believe me, somewhere between rejection 50 and 150, I never thought, oh, you know, I'm going to land this book with Simon Schuster and it's going to trigger a, a TV show. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you just have to believe in your work and internalize as much of the how-to stuff as you can and, you know, then just sort of forget it and write what you have to write and, you know, stay strong to your own ideas and vision and have fun with it. Um, I think without, without fun and work, there's no point whatsoever to it. That's great. So where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your novel Phoenix Island? Well, thanks. Uh, I'm at www.johndixonbooks.com. And um, I'm, I'm also on Twitter. It's at John Dixon Books. But I'm most active at Facebook, which predictably maybe is sort of like slash John Dixon book, but um, that's where most people seem to find me and where I'm, you know, I'm most active. And then any day now, in fact, it might be a day, Simon Schuster is launching a new website called phoenixislandseries.com. So gotcha. um, that, that might be up now. If not, it's going to be up any time now. So I, mean, I haven't even seen it yet, so I'm excited. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with John Dixon, author of the new novel, Phoenix Island, which, as you heard, is the basis for the new hit CBS show, Intelligence. Phoenix Island is available now, so go buy a copy. John, thanks for doing this interview. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. Sure. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from Ad Force. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.